Hello, everybody. I clicked the wrong scene at the start, so we had an infinite uh, screen of OBSs just flying all over the place. Good start. That's yeah, a good start. It's always a good start on the G2A podcast experience. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome to episode number seven. Man, we are almost at episode number 10. I think we got to do something special for the 10th episode, man. This is awesome. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special guest on our podcast today. Uh, you all know Steve. Say hi, Steve. How's it going, guys? <laughs> and uh, we have also X Coundrel, who is an eSports caster. Say hello to everybody. How you doing, man? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me on the, ca- uh, the podcast. Awesome. Uh, now you are a caster for uh, which game? I think it's League of Legends, right? Yeah, primarily League of Legends. Uh, but as a freelancer, I've done quite a lot of games actually. But I think, yeah, for the most part, most people know me for League of Legends. Awesome. I'm kind of curious because we didn't talk about this last week. What other games were you um, casting in? Oh, I've done, I've done quite a few. I mean, I've done a lot of like one-off events, like especially I've done quite a few mobile games like Auto Chess. Uh, I've done Rules of Survival, which is this weird PUBG mobile ripoff that had its own like world championship in China, which I went out to do, which was a crazy event. But yeah, I cast, I've cast that. Um, I cast a long time for a game called Vainglory, which was like a, a mobile MOBA. Uh, it was like the precursor, I think, to sort of like the, the rise of things like Wild Rift and, and, and AOV and things like that um and yeah just just i done a lot of like random hosting for events and a lot of tft casting as well it was something that i did for quite a while because i covered tft on my youtube channel and got quite good at it and then basically ended up doing some casting for tft too so yeah i've done quite a lot of stuff uh over the course of the last few years really one thing that i didn't tell mike anything about what 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 conversation we had last week and i kind of want to have him surprised just like the viewers um just tell us a little bit about you and like how did it all start off yeah so i started doing casting when i was at university uh i started doing it in medical school i was training to be a doctor and then uh i kind of found a passion for it doing it part-time i wasn't making any money or anything like that i was just doing it for a kind of like a university league in the uk called the NUL, the national university esports league um, and I would just do the like random bits of commentary. I formed a like early partnership with a guy called Medic, who was previously called Sona. You might now know him as one of the mainstay LEC casters. Um, we formed a little partnership back then, and we kind of built our brand together, even though we were just doing all these random free events all over the place. Um, and yeah, that once I left medical school, uh, I decided that being a doctor sucked, and I wanted to do this. <laughs> and so uh, I ended up doing this after leaving medical school. And it was... Um, yeah, it was it was definitely the right decision for me, but it was a wild career change, realistically. What what kind of um, uh, things were you doing? Like what 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 direction of medicine were you trying to? Uh, I'm sorry, not medicine. Medical school. Were you going? Were you trying to be like a surgeon? Were you trying to like do I don't know heart surgery? Like what what kind of doctor were you trying to be? You don't, I mean, for, for when you go to medical school in the UK, you do five years of undergrad training, which basically qualifies you as a junior doctor. And then once you've done two extra years of junior doctor uh, training, you then get to decide what speciality you want to go on to. Um, I got 
past the five years but never did the extra two years and then uh so i never got to choose a speciality so there wasn't really uh there wasn't really a direction for me i think if i was going to choose a direction i probably would have gone into psychiatry um but uh i think very i don't think i'd ever i don't think i would have ever made it that far because it just it just wasn't for me like being a, being a doctor especially in the uk is very much a vocation uh less of a career what what did your um when when you told your parents like hey uh i don't want to be a doctor anymore but i want to talk over some video games um <laughs> uh did, did they have a reaction to that or were they just like just supported you the entire way Yeah, my mom and dad are uh, two of the most incredibly supportive people I've had in my life. Uh, they both just wanted me to be happy, so I, 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 don't, I don't think they really cared. I think I think they were a bit like upset for me that I'd spent five years doing something that I didn't really like. But they both were absolutely my biggest cheerleaders. Um, definitely more so than my wife was originally. <laughs> my wife was more <laughs> upset than my parents were, uh, but yeah, my parents were definitely my biggest cheerleaders when I decided to do this. Um, Uh, and my mum basically said, "Oh, I knew you, I knew you didn't want to be a doctor anyway." So, uh, you know, I think um, I think my parents were just really supportive. But they've always been supportive. They've been two of the most incredible people in my life. Um, and my wife eventually came round to the idea once she realized I was a lot happier. <laughs> you should have told your mom, like, "Mom, why didn't you tell me earlier?" God, I, I know I did. <laughs> I did. I was like, "Mom, why, did, why didn't you tell me earlier? I would have just quit." <laughs> Um, something that uh, was very interesting for me is how did you start? Because we spoke about it last week, like I mentioned. So how did you like think? Okay, I'm, I want this is something I want to do. Oh yeah, I, I used to be a, in season one of League of Legends. I used to be like a relatively good player in the UK scene. So I was like a semi-pro. It, it, if you, there wasn't really a competitive circuit for League of Legends at that point in its life cycle, but there were UK tournaments and stuff, and uh, I was part of a team. Sorry if you can hear the dogs. Um, good. Good. Um, I I went to a tournament in in a place called Liverpool, and I got knocked out in the semi-finals. And there was like this open. Imagine just like a there was literally just a a, a computer with this little desk. You know, there's like, you know those really old school microphones you got that just sat on a little plate and had like a little yeah. a little um yeah one of those microphones. It was like an open desk microphone area, and you just were able to cast over the game. Um, and I remember going in and just saying, "Oh, well, I'll give it a go." And I started casting and Twitch chat, who are usually rather vitriolic, ended up saying, whoa, this guy's not shit. <laughs> and so then, and I was like, oh, okay. I mean, I take That's that as a compliment. That's a rarity. It's a rarity. And then I decided yeah. that actually I enjoyed doing it a lot and I wanted to try and take it further. From that point on, because this was your first chance, how did you sort of keep going with this? Well, yeah, it was like the, mostly it came through two tournament organizers called EGL, which I think they're still going. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, and then the other one was uh, National University Esports League. So I was just basically doing volunteer casting for some of the very early forms of League of Legends tournaments that were all done online. I just do it from my university bedroom. Um, at the time when I was really getting into it, I had a, a flat of my own with my best friend. And I essentially just... Um, I essentially just did it from my bedroom and I was doing it for free for the most part. I didn't get a paid gig until two and a half years into doing it. Uh, obviously, I, was, I wasn't doing it as much as I was doing now. I, so I was, you know, the events were a little bit more few and far between. But yeah, I didn't get a paid gig until I was two and a half years into actually having started casting, which was, I think, very, very, um, very normal at the time. Uh, I know there's a lot of discussion in esports around uh, right now. People, you know, 
don't like the idea of volunteering to get somewhere. Um, there's been a big hot topic in esports, you know. Uh, but but at the time when I started, that was the norm, and so I did do it for two and a half years, especially like a a, a career path that had very few uh, openings to kind of advance. So it was the only option you had at the time, and that's and I, I liked it so much, I just kept going with it. So I during mean, those two and a half years that you didn't really have any sort of gigs, like paying gigs, your wife must have been sort of putting on this pressure, like, why this direction? There's nothing coming from it. Why don't you just give up? Yeah, I, I mean, I was still at university at the time, so I think she still believed that I was going to finish and then go and be a doctor and just give up my silly video games talking <laughs> thing. Um, so yeah, I, I think... I think Emily, and I know when I qualified and left university, Emily basically, she won't, because she's a dentist, so she has like a very traditional career path. Um, and she was really, I think she in her head had this idea of, of a little doctor and dentist family with our dogs and our, and, you know, our kids and all that kind of stuff. And that was going to be like her, that was going to be like her little idyllic uh, setup. But obviously that didn't quite transpire that way. Um, I was very lucky when I left university so by the time it came to the point where I needed to just make some money, I got an offer from SEMC who ran Vainglory to do casting for them pretty much full time. And that, and that kind of took me over two years of of, of commentary work. And I made a, a decent living from just Vainglory alone. And obviously, I was still doing League of Legends to keep myself relevant in that scene throughout that time as well. So I was just very lucky that the timing lined up for me. Um, and I think one of the biggest pieces of advice is that I always give to casters is don't don't ever think something's beneath you or don't be afraid to branch out, especially in, as in the freelance world, because that I would not be where I was today without Vainglory. Yet most people have never heard of Vainglory slash, you know, if you were to then look back on it now, most people w w won't remember even any half of the big esports moments that happened in that particular scene. So, but I would not be where I am now without Vainglory. And so that's why I always tell newer casters, I'm just like, you know, don't ever think a, a title is beneath you. P casting practice is casting practice at the end of the day. And, and if you need to, work in a relatively unknown mobile game for two years to get enough money and keep yourself afloat in the industry then you gotta do it because uh, it's what i did yeah i think uh i saw i see that we have someone in the chat uh that when you mentioned uh that you casted vainglory that they were like oh yeah i played vainglory um but you're saying that's a mobile game is is there like a difference between casting mobile games and a normal like computer game or something like that not really. I mean, you, Vainglory was a MOBA. Uh, you would treat it exactly as you, you'd treat League of Legends casting. It had its own mechanics, of course, it had its own champions, but competitive mobile games are designed to be, uh, you know, as watchable, if not more watchable, in a sense, than, than traditional PC esports. The only thing that I would say about things like Vainglory and other mobile, you know, competitive or, or other competitive mobile titles is they are generally more fast-paced. So conversation and storylines generally tend to be need to be um put out more quickly and uh, you know you, you need to not hang on points for too long because by the time you finish something talking about one thing something else has already happened but apart from that it, the the casting skills and, and the casting mechanics of between mobiles and, and pc games is almost identical it sounds like you got your foot in the door at the right time uh, and I think uh, which opened the door of opportunities for you uh, greatly along the way. I saw some clips uh, from your uh, casting highlight video on YouTube and stuff, and I really enjoyed it. And um, and I see why you're in the position that you are uh, right now. 
Uh, but I think for like the broader audience, uh, I think trying to cast an esports game is sort of like a, a niche type of um, career path, right? Like people don't really they they don't really plan to do this kind of stuff unless unless they I mean maybe like now they do, but when you started all those years ago, like it really wasn't a thing. Right. It was just if, if you wanted to do that, then then you wanted to do it for fun. And if you were going to get any money out of it, then it was either hit uh, like hit or miss. Um, my question is, like, what does it take? Because, I mean, I watch I personally watch esports. I mean, the only esport that I really watch is World of Warcraft Arena. And um, I don't know if, if you're into I know Steve's shaking his head right now because I'm like a, I'm like a huge WoW fan. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a WoW freak. I've been playing the game for like a super, super long time. And um, I like to watch uh, WoW Arena and it's exciting like it. And it's exciting because of the casters. They they make it exciting because it, in general, watching World of Warcraft is boring as hell. Like it's you know, it's, especially if you don't know what the hell is happening. So I wanted to ask you, like, what does it take? Like, what kind of personality do you need to have to actually become a esports caster? Like, you you have to make watching this game exciting, right? Like, you have to make people like. Obviously, like you probably have to be like super informed at the game like you probably have to be like have been playing for a long time um you have to like know the ins and outs basically of what is happening so you can like sort of um uh com condense the information that's happening on the screen into like uh consumable content for the people that are watching right so like what what does it take what does it take to uh... be a sportscaster well, first of all, I played WoW for uh, over ten years as well. There you so go, I'm, I'm, see, I'm, 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 Steve. I'm not. Wait, wait, hold up, wait up, wait up, wait up. <laughs> I have no problem with people playing WoW because I played it since 2004. I just have a problem with people watching WoW Arena because that's boring as shit. Not I mean, I, 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 I don't watch WoW Arena, but I do watch Mythic Dungeon Invitational. So, oh, you, yeah. oh, you watch MDI? Okay, yeah, yeah okay. I watch MDI. Okay. Nice. Um, I wouldn't say there's a specific personality type required to be a caster. Um, all the skills that you need to to be a caster can be learned, and it's not really relevant to the personality type. Of course, there are some personality types that are going to be better at, at doing it naturally. Um, my personality type, I'm not actually very outlandish at all. I'm actually quite a reserved person. Um, but when I'm on broadcast, I, I I know you know how to use my voice properly to to sort of to illustrate what's going on in the or you know or generate the the, the hype or whatever um but of course there are going to be some personality types like medic medic if you've ever met medic he's a he's a very confident personality and that comes across in his casting as well um but i think realistically it's about skills rather than the personality uh you know you just need to know how to use your voice properly to make your voice sound interesting and make people want to listen to it you need to know how to generate energy levels as you said, if you're the person that's breaking down the game, you need to know how to pick out the most important information that you're seeing and relay it in a way that's understandable to the audience. Because one of the things that I think a lot of people will gloss over is that actually most people that watch the game are not pro player level slash will never understand the game at a pro player level. Right. And therefore you need to distill what pro players are doing into something that is easy to understand for your average viewer. Um, and so that's one of the, the one of the very, very, and you have to do it on the fly as well for color casters. Like you have to do that on the fly. 
Um, and so that's one of the, the most difficult skills, honestly, in, in casting, I think. And I have a lot of admiration for color casters. I, I, I do color cast some games. Um, and I have done a lot of color casting in the past, but though I primarily do what we call play-by-play, -play, which is basically like calling the action and the hype and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, there's there's loads of different skills that you just need to learn. And uh, I, I, whilst I think there are some personality types that do tend to uh, excel in certain areas of casting, I don't think you need a specific personality to do it. You just need to be willing to commit to learning any kind of skill as you would with any anything that you want to do, right? You just need to put the time and practice in to, to better yourself at it. Would I you actually be kind of would you be kind of like excluded from casting if you have, for example, like you have like this nice voice, whereas I have more of like a high pitchy type of voice. You have more like a deep, calmer one. So if I wanted to be like a caster, would I be kind of like you know written off because of how I speak and my accent, my dialect, my my tone? Not necessarily. What I would say is that you. Your voice, and one of the reasons that I think I've done so well in casting is that my voice is very radio. Like, it's yes. a very radio-style voice. You have a very um, silky smooth voice. Yeah. Yeah. Say so it is one of the main reasons that I've done <laughs> I think I've been carried by my voice for a very long time. Um, so your voice will give you an inherent advantage. At the end of the day, you want people to want to listen to you. You want people to enjoy listening to you. Um, and so your voice will give you an inherent advantage, but there are plenty of examples of people who I wouldn't say have a categorically silky smooth butter voice and are doing casting, you know, um, and there are plenty of examples of people who are not native English speakers who are, you know, speaking in, in, uh, in their second language in English to do casting and, and it has come across like the two from League of Legends that are most notable are people like Crepo and Deficio. Crepo was Belgian, Deficio was Danish. Um, and when Deficio started, he could, you know, there was a lot of criticism criticism levied towards his english capabilities and his vocabulary which he fixed over the course of the year and quickly became the most loved caster on the entire broadcast so whilst you know clearly there will be inherent advantages for people who have got what you know is more i would say more broadcast quality voices it's never a stopping factor unless your voice is just for some reason that unlistenable that you could never really get past it <laughs> there's a guy in, in the league of legends called la shadow or ls who had to co overcome that barrier because a lot of people when he initially started casting in Korea basically said this like this guy's voice is unlistenable like I can't I can't listen to it um but he overcame that barrier and and he kind of he pushed past that and has quickly become one of the most loved broadcasters in Korea and you know it is one of those things that yes okay it might set you back a little bit when you start but you just need to prove that you have worth elsewhere if it, if your voice is not your strong suit then you find another part of your cast that is and that's just you know, one of the one of the things that LS was able to do very very well. Do Do you think it's it's possible? Because you know, you mentioned of a, a very important um point there. How certain casters maybe they don't have like the best voice, or maybe they don't have like the best English or something like that, and they sort of like learn as they go. They evolve their casting, they evolve their voice, their, their vocabulary, and stuff like that um is it do you think it's possible because i think you mentioned earlier that you sort of trained your voice to be at the level that it is now like what does what do you actually need to do to like train yourself to like be how you want to be right when it comes to casting i mean there's lots of technical things that you need to understand when broadcasting one of the things that i learned over the course of the last five years probably when i started i i was very monotone um 
and I would just talk like this pretty much all the time. And this would be my broadcasting. It's not bad to listen to, but it's not interesting. And it gets boring after a while. And so one of the things, one of the key skills that I learned to make my talking more interesting, not just my casting, just my talking in general, um, was to modulate and vary the tone in my voice. And it's something that I employed in my everyday talking practice, not just when I was casting, I started to try and modulate the way that I talked every day. So when I talked to other people, I would start to put certain stresses on words or, or raise the raise the tone of certain words and then sentences just to make it sound a little more interesting. Because my voice has the the danger of lulling into like a very uh, monotony droll and essentially that's quite difficult to to you know you, you don't want to, my voice doesn't want to get there on a broadcast so i had to just challenge myself to modulate the way my voice comes out in almost everyday conversation and that helped me when i got onto broadcast to just do it naturally so now i just do it naturally all the time my voice now is very different to the where it was seven years ago seven years ago i probably wouldn't be modulating or varying the tone of my voice at all but now i do it in everyday conversation let alone on broadcast it, it just, um, and that's it just, just of, comes naturally just like well it, it, yeah it does now it didn't come naturally right. originally uh but right. it, you know it took a lot of practice to get here um but yeah now it comes naturally just because i've become so used to doing it I would like to have seen like you in the kitchen just and your wife just sitting there and you're just like, pass me the bread, please. You know, <laughs> so, this and your wife is like, what are you doing? Just kind did of you did it. you ever uh, think of like casting real life situations? I did like, do it for fun. Yeah. I, I like, oh, yeah, here's fun. my wife. She's coming to win with uh, with the ball. Oh, she made a left. Oh, she slipped. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 I've done that quite a lot actually. Yeah, uh, actually, something, <laughs> something happens. My wife actually casts sometimes randomly for fun as well. The other, the other day, um, my wife's a dentist and she was watching this, this, this webinar on um, what the hell was the webinar on? It's something really boring, <laughs> some boring dental thing. Resin bonded bridges. Okay, I'm not oh, going to explain what like resin fun. bonded bridges are, but basically, <laughs> it's when you lose a tooth instead of drilling into your gum. To put a new tooth in, which is called an implant, you could do another thing called a resin bonded bridge, which is where you 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 bond it to another tooth next to it. It's really riveting stuff. Anyway, okay. I really wanted to go to sleep, and I, and she just kept watching this resin bonded bridges webinar, and I was like, I really want to go to sleep. Uh, anyway, then I just started taking the absolute piss, just like talking about resin bonded bridges all the time, like as a dentist. <laughs> and then she just and then she just started casting, like as if she was casting a game of League of Legends to try and get back. Anyway, it was hilarious. Uh, but my wife, my wife picked up casting as well over the course of the last few years, just because she she like hears me do it all the time. So she just takes the mick out of me all the time when I'm in like around the house. She just cast me walking into the kitchen or, or something like that. You know, it's just it's become part of our lives now. That's that's funny as hell. Uh, so you mentioned that you have a a, a child, right? Yeah, I got a two-year-old. Uh, he's called Rupert. Um, uh, I was he, gonna, I was gonna ask you because you, um, because you mentioned how when you were starting to cast, like your, your tone, like your your voice was pretty monotone and uh, maybe in a way sort of boring, and now it's like really dynamic and stuff like that. Do you ever use your voice to put your kids to sleep? No, I, I, <laughs> I, I have tried to sing to Rupert sometimes. Um, oh, okay. But for the most part, I use my voice to shout at him when he's being naughty because he's. Oh, okay. Uh... okay. <laughs> that could be terrifying, actually. That could actually be terrifying. I have got a terrifying dad voice, actually. I'm. I have got the. Uh, I, I have got the scary dad voice, which is good. That's good. That's good. Um... Uh, one thing I would want to ask, uh, because you mentioned your wife a lot and uh, how she was sort of like um, at the beginning, she wasn't really, you know, behind this. 
how was she behind it when the money came and you had to travel like in very short notice? Because uh, like you said last week, um, you could get notified three weeks before an event that you need to be flying off God knows where to do God knows what. How did she sort of manage this? Uh, before we had Rupert, it was a lot easier to manage because there wasn't a baby to have to like care for and look after. Um, she never, I don't think she liked me traveling. She didn't like being by herself. Um, obviously she was super supportive once, you know, she realized it was a viable career path and I was much happier. Uh, but yeah, she's never really been a fan of the traveling. And also like, she's someone that likes to organize going away and organize, you know, weekends and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and it's very difficult to have a calendar as a family when esports is, you know, the events are planned in such short notice. Um, I, I'm not going to tell you stories now because I probably would never get a job again. But one day I'll tell stories because it's it's absolutely ridiculous, the short notice that we are given to do events. And, and, and you know, I'm not the only commentator that talks about this quite openly. I, I, I mentioned to Steve last week that Frankie Ward, almost every year, one of the, one of, she's one of the most um, influential hosts in esports right now. And she puts a tweet out every year basically saying, if tournament organizers could literally just book me now for the rest of the year, please do, because it helps me organize my calendar. Um, now, if you've got a brand the size of Frankie's, you can probably get away with it. When you're a slightly smaller brand in the freelance market like myself, it's not quite that easy. Um, so yeah, I, it's, I, I'm still in the world where uh, there are events that are less than two weeks away that I know are less than two weeks away. I know that they would probably want to use me. Yeah, I haven't been booked um and so you know it's 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 impossible to plan your life it is impossible to plan your life and i just that's one of the things that i want to see changed in esports so so readily um but emily is is incredibly understanding just because she knows it's my work now and she knows what it's like and after five years of having the same shit she's you know kind of de kind of realized it, how it how it works and so yeah she's been really understanding from that but i wish it was different i really do i wish i was booked months in advance and i wouldn't have this problem but i you know it's always been this way in esports, and it, has, it doesn't look like it's changing anytime soon. You that don't have to go into really sorry, Mike. Uh, you, don't have to into, you don't have to go into specifics, but what was the latest time you've ever been booked? So it was like a few days before, or like a week before. Yeah, I'm not going to tell you the specific event, but um, the day before they booked our flights, and they hadn't actually booked our hotels, and they only booked our hotels when we landed in the in the country. So uh, wow. yeah, we knew we were doing the event. But we hadn't had our flights booked or our hotels booked, so it was the day before. That was that was absolutely ridiculous as well. Absolutely ridiculous. Wow, that, that sounds. <laughs> Hi, Dad. What's up? Hi, Dad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that sounds really hectic, man. I mean, especially with kids. You know, I have a three-year-old daughter. Steve's got double, and um, I couldn't imagine. I mean, before COVID, before COVID happened, I was also flying to different uh places in europe i was flying to like uh to gamescom in germany and we went to i went to amsterdam for a business trip and uh some cities in poland as well and i was just going around places and you know and my daughter at the time she was like she was still young right but i mean just the fact that like you know i was like honey listen um i have to fly out can you take care of the kid like you know it's uh it's it's hard, right? But I think hard, like yeah. at 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 this point, you know, I think uh, like my uh my wife is also understanding of like this is like my job, my career and stuff like that. So 
as as long as you got the support, as long as you got the support, then I think uh, everything will work out. Um, I wanted to ask you also about the COVID pandemic. Have you mm. have you ha, have you cat have you casted any events remotely? How does that look? All, like? Almost all my work, apart from one gig with Riot Games, um, was remote over the last year i've only been in a studio once this entire last year so everything else has been remote i've done oh. i've done almost everything remotely um i had to yeah I, I had to sort of really sort of amp the setup even when i did the lec which was you know probably one of the highest profile events in in league of legends even when i cast the lec this year this year that was remote so yeah most of my event work has been remote and especially in 2021, in no small part due to COVID mixed with Brexit, it's much harder now as well to get, to get out of the country and work properly. So, yeah, it's pretty much all been remote through COVID. Because, um, like I mentioned before, I, I watch a lot of um, WoW Arena and stuff. And I I always, because, you know, they always have like these, like, um, like, like before the match starts, they talk about like what happened and like stuff like that. And like the production value... It's really good, and I, I I always wonder to myself. I was like, how are they like sitting in their houses casting this event, and the production and like how is the production just doing the things that they're doing? Like they're doing the transitions, they're doing like all these like cool effects and like cool like all of this technical stuff that I maybe I don't understand. How does that look like? Do you have any insight on that? Like, do you have any like? special programs that you use that they need to connect to or are they doing all of this stuff also remotely or do you control it like how does like how does that work so mostly as far as i'm aware the people who run the broadcasts are still in their studios so they're still able to use their studios from whichever location that they're at as long as they are adhering to whatever guidelines the country has for for working in you know those kind of closed environments Um, right. I know that when I've worked for pretty much most of the events that I've done the last year, it's all been controlled from the usual studio that they would have been doing it from if you were live. Um, and then it depends on who you're working with. Like for Riot, uh, we use something called vMix, which is uh, like a platform for for sending and, and receiving feeds. And so we had, a, we had a license of something called vMix 64, which was basically like a, a very professional kind of remote broadcasting setup. Um, oh, so, so you guys don't use OBS? Uh, no, uh, actually for... For some events, I have used OBS. Um, some events, I've literally used Google Hangouts. Some events, oh. we've used Discord. Um, <laughs> so yeah, there's the, uh, it really depends on who 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 you're uh, who you've got. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's a variety. But I would say the most the the production stuff is very similar to the way it would have been in live events. It's still you know controlled from the main production studio. They're just drawing the caster audio and video feeds in from their remote locations. Right. Is it easier for you to kind of do this from home, or would you prefer to be flying around and you know traveling and meeting other people? I discovered over the last year that I like a mix. I used to, I used to really only just like doing live events because live events you don't really there's nothing like a that really replaces the feeling of being either in a studio or with an audience or whatever. But now I've realized that actually the work life balance of having remote stuff is really nice as well. So being able to to be at home and, and help look after my son and and still you know be able to do what i love is actually really important to me so i you know, i think a mix is good and i also think you can you can get good quality shows that clearly are costing less to produce as well and i think a lot of a lot of tournament organizers may end up you know uh, may end up f- finding that they may want to continue with remote style broadcasts because it's cheaper and you can still get a relatively good product out 
I think um, I think maybe from the standpoint of a of an actual caster, it might even be better because you know you're if you're at home, you know you're comfortable, you're in an area that you're familiar with, you're not like you you know you don't have th- that many distractions. Maybe that 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 doesn't go to like to say for everyone else because maybe their houses or their homes are hectic. They have like fifteen kids fly- flying around and parrots and stuff. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think I think maybe these days it'll just become like the norm, basically. Uh, I I see that we have a question from Twitch. Uh, are you working for a company or are you more of a free agent right now? Uh, I've always, yeah more of a free agent. Uh, I've always been a freelancer. It's um it is difficult if you're working in specific um specific scenes to be a freelancer. Like some scenes you have a cap as a freelancer. Um, but yeah, I've always been a freelancer. The freelance has just given me the more of the flexibility with work, family life. Um, especially because I, I started in League of Legends and that's always been my main game. If you really want to be at the top of your game in League of Legends, you have to go and work for one of the major riot broadcasts, which is either the LCS or the LEC. And that would re- either involve me moving, moving to Berlin or me moving to Los Angeles. And my wife is a dentist. Her entire business is based around here. She's got, um, her dentistry stuff. She's also got another business that we run. And so, um, where the dogs just keep fighting in the background. Um, she's got another um, another business. And it's just not worth it. It's just not worth it to move. So right, right. You, I I'm mean, kind of. I'm gonna go, Mike. No, go ahead, Steve. Uh, I was just gonna go back to these like big uh, events that you were doing. What's like the best or the biggest uh, memory that you have? Like something that sticks in your mind is like, okay, I really enjoyed this event because of X. I think the event that always sticks in my mind is doing um iem katowice 2017 i think it was so you've I, been to last... poland before yes i've been to poland several times i've been to katowice mostly because that's where the esl studios right. are located um so iem katowice 2017 which i think was the last ever iem for league of legends at katowice um and so I was hosting the event and I went to the Spodek Arena and it was just like nothing I'd ever been involved in before. That was like the first major event I'd ever been involved in realistically. Uh, and so it was just like a really real highlight moment when you have like uh, the Spodek full of like people who are absolutely like, you know, going crazy over League of Legends. Uh, and we had massive tech delays and it was an awful show. And then, you know, basically because of the tech delays, basically, and because of the tech delays, Riot said that you can never run a League of Legends event again, ESL, and it never came back to, to IEM. But it was still a great event for me just because of what, um, you know, what it, what it meant to me to do an event of that level after having done basically very low level events for a significant period of time. Yeah, Polish people are, um, I think they're, pr- they're very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They're very passionate. Uh, passionate. They're very, yeah, yeah, they're yeah, very that, passionate. Yeah, yeah. They're very passionate about CSGO and League of Legends. I think mm-hmm. those are like yeah. the two main games that Polish people you like usually play. Um, yeah, I mean I, I saw I've I've never been to, to an IEM in Katowice. Um I I've seen videos, dude, and that it looks epic. Like it really it really like every time I, I watch a video like that, it, I just get like shivers, like chills down my spine. Like, you know, when you watch something or like when you watch something good or you listen to like a a, a good piece of music or something like that, you get goosebumps like on your hands. Like I, I get like I get that. I get chills. And um I just wish I don't know if we're ever gonna get that again. You know, to go to live events like that, I've only been um, to like maybe. 
I'm sure we will eventually. I, I'm certain that it will happen eventually. Um, obviously, it might require vaccines for everybody, but by, I think we will eventually get to do live events. I'm definitely yeah. resonating with Stevie right now because uh, I, I absolutely know what it's like <laughs> when you've got when you've got a, a small child running around when you're trying to do yeah. esports related stuff. Yeah, Rupert yeah. Rup just comes up to my keyboard and starts smashing my keyboard every time like he wants to uh, to be involved. He wants to he wants to pretend like he's playing the games. Yeah, um, whenever I'm streaming, because uh, I, I stream like every day, and right now Poland is actually in another lockdown event because the amount of um, uh, sick people has is it's it's bigger than it was at the beginning of the pandemic, which is crazy. I think there's like thirty thousand sick. Um, oh wow, bloody hell! Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's crazy. Um, and they went uh, Poland. The, the Polish government decided to put us on a lockdown again, starting from last Saturday. And uh, they closed down the preschools. And my wife had to go on uh, basically like childcare leave uh, because you know someone has to work. I mean, me and her are 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 working from home anyways, uh, but somebody has to you know obviously uh, take care of the kid while the other one is working. And um, you know, you I've just. He's just annoying me right now. He's just. <laughs> it's, fine. it's fine. It's <laughs> fine. Um, right. I, I completely, I completely understand. My son is very similar. I was gonna say, uh, like, I've, I've basically just, cause, like, when I'm streaming, like, my daughter likes to come up to me. She's like, "Oh, daddy, or look at this drawing." I'm like, "Oh, that's amazing, honey. Thank you." And I've just like made it a part of my stream. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't. I just like take her on my lap. I'm just like, "Oh, say hi to everybody," and she's like, "Hi." And then she's like, "Dad, I want to press your keyboard," and I'm like, "No, please don't. <laughs> you're gonna, you're gonna click something and you're gonna break it." And <laughs> but I've, I've basically just learned to accept the fact that you know. We live in some pretty crazy times uh, these days, and you know, home office is 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 the new thing. And I, I'm pretty mm -hmm. sure that like people are more understanding than they were before. You know, I mean, there's like there's times where you know you want it to be peace and quiet so you can focus on the the matter at hand and whether you're doing a podcast or you're casting an esports event. But when you know you have like your like your little monster coming in and yelling, "Daddy, Daddy, Daddy!" You know, um, it's sort of hard to ignore. So you just learn to accept it, and <laughs> and that's it. You know, I, we had um, I had a meeting the other day. I think it was Tuesday, and it was quite an important meeting. And basically, uh, my camera was off, uh, and luckily the microphone was also off. But I told my son, "Not go, don't go to the computer because I got a meeting." So what did he decide to do? He went to the computer because he wanted to be in the meeting. So he just sat on my chair, just listening to this meeting. And he was just there, just happy for like literally 10 minutes. Just Wait, like so this. did your son relay you the information that was being uh, said in the meeting? No, he's, he's not. He's, just, he's no. just listening, just looking at the camera, just watching somebody talk and just, yeah. That would have been but funny if you time, left the it's camera on. Amazing that I can just sit home and I don't have to travel to the office. My son's just here and I can see him all the time. Yeah, okay, he annoys me for like five minutes, but you know, at the same time, yeah. I get to see him. You know what I this sort of reminds yeah. me of? Like right now, I we're like the three dads, you know, sitting like on the on the front lawn, you know, drinking some beer. Well, you know, no beer, but um, just like you know. 
shooting the shit, as they say, right? We're just like the three dads in the neighborhood just like talking about like life and how hard it is sometimes and the kids. And it's crazy to think about that we're, we're at this point in our lives, you know? It's, it's crazy. Like I'm, I'm pushing 30. I'm going to be 29 this year. And um, Steve, am I older than you or younger than you? I think we're the same age. Let's just say yes. For since we're recording, we'll just say yeah. No, you're <laughs> older than me. You're older than uh, me. I no, think no, you're no, like no, no. thirty. I think you're like fifty plus because you're balding. Yeah, that's definitely it. I'm actually kind of curious. <laughs> How old are you, Excandrel? I'm twenty nine. So oh, I'm dude, we're the same age, man. I'm yeah. I'm thirty. I'm thirty <laughs> this year, and my son's two. Uh, my son turned two about a month ago. So yeah, my I'm. He's uh he's. At that stage where he's like starting to say some stuff, like he's saying a few bits, but like like he really only says like two or three three word sentences, like like daddy bye 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 daddy that kind of stuff. But yeah, he's uh, he's just shouts a lot, usually car and woof woof. That's the kind yeah. of like the nice stage. My son has picked up a word from the playground. Uh, luckily, it's in Polish, so not many people in English understand. But for example, if you tell him to take off his shoes. He replied, "Gubno," which in Polish is not a very good word. It means uh, shit, it's... basically. Yeah. It means shit. So my son's at this stage where he literally doesn't care what he says. Whatever comes yeah, out, yeah. just comes out. So look forward to that. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. You know, I think I only, say... I only know one Polish swear word. I think, but I think it's very, very offensive. So I'm not going to say it out loud. Just uh, with K, because I'm it does with it's, K. It's, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You know when they say kids said uh, kids say the darnest things, you don't really understand that phrase until you actually have kids yourself. Because, I mean, my daughter. I, I think generally speaking, I think uh, girls they start to um like develop uh, like speaking skills earlier like i think by the I time do, yeah. she, i think by the time you. she was like a year and a half she was like already saying like almost full sentences and now she's three and you could literally have a conversation with her um, it might not make a lot of sense because sometimes she just like goes off on these tangents like and i'm just like okay <laughs> what am i supposed to say uh you know she asks like a million questions a day uh but uh yeah i forgot what i was i forgot where i was going with this to be honest but yeah kids Since yeah talking about children kids say the uh, yeah. things. how would you feel if your children were like play, playing games in the future would you kind of like say okay no maybe until you're a bit older would you watch them or would you encourage them to play games uh I think, like, if he wants to play games, like, I, I would never, like, force it on him or any future children. But if he wanted to, I think it'd be a nice bonding experience, clearly, because that's something that I do and, and work in full time. Um, I think I, I I have the the knowledge to kind of be able to say, in, in modulation, you know, you need, you need sorry, mod, moderation. You need it in moderation. Like, I don't think I, I don't think I would let him play games to the level that I did you know, in, in university and stuff like that, you know, I, I tried to teach him to, to, to do it in moderation a bit more. Um, <laughs> I will try. My dad said, fuck you, Will. Uh, but I, I will try. Because, um, you know, I, I think, you know, in, realistically, it is important to have it in, in moderation. Uh, but I mean, he might not be interested in games. You just don't know. I, I have no idea. What, I, my son is so physical. Like, you know, you talked about development. My son is, is two. He's not particularly developed, like speaking wise, but he's, He's very tall. He's over a meter tall at, at two. Um, 
yeah i know he's huge um and and he can, he can like walk he can walk up and down the stairs not not even going on his bum he can walk up and down the stairs completely unaided at two and and he's like very quick and very physical i mean i wouldn't be surprised if he's just really into sports you know like he might just really be into sports um uh growing up and so i just be i just want to support whatever he's into realistically um and so if it's you know i'm not going to force games on him I mean, the reason i got into games realistically is because i vividly remember sitting in my dad's office when i was maybe like seven or eight watching him play like the old school like tomb raider games on the pc and i i i, I never asked dad about it but he, he i don't know if he like bought a, a pc specifically for gaming or what but you know he um he used to play tomb raider and then he played like medal of honor allied assault when that first came out and me and my brother would just sit sit there in his office before we went to bed watching him do the campaigns of these games basically backseat gaming our dad when we were seven um he didn't let you like take control he just was letting you watch and that's it yeah we but we we liked watching like i think we eventually when we were a bit older got to play like i used to i remember playing after dad had completed the campaign on medal of honor i know that he let us play the campaign uh not when we were seven i don't think maybe might be a bit older that's a bit (laughs) of a underestimation but to be fair like you know whatever um but you know like that's that's you know that was kind of what ignited my love for gaming and then i started playing the first game that i ever played by myself was medal of honor allied assault and then it was diablo 2 and diablo 2 lod and then um and then it was world of warcraft which was the game which dominated most of my teenage life and hence why i never had a girlfriend um Jesus, and- <laughs> tell me about it, dude. oh my god uh so yeah that was um that was that was most of my teenage years and uh but yeah but it was like watching my dad play games was kind of what really like ignited my passion one of my almost one of my other vivid, vivid memories is that we used to do karate uh, i remember coming home from karate one night and my dad had set up an n64 and he had a had goldeneye on it and he was playing great goldeneye game. yeah gold great game and we just like we came home and dad had like dad had bought an n64 and had set up goldeneye on it and we, we were just watching him play that so i think my i think my dad when he was a bit younger i know he's not as much into it now but when he was younger he was definitely into gaming and and kind of like you know the late 90s and early 2000s gaming stuff um i think that's kind of what kind of what ignited both me and my brother's passion for for games does your brother do anything with games at the moment my brother is a hr manager for boots (laughs) but he he does play a lot of um he does play quite a lot with we, we that's kind of one of the main ways that me and my brother still kind of like stay in contact and bond we just play a lot of games together that's awesome yeah, like, I mean, you know, we live in a day and age where, like, moderation is, like, super important, especially for kids, because, like, you know, we have tablets and phones and screens, and, you know, all of us, we come from, like, an era where, you know, we have, like, we are a pretty interesting generation, because we experienced going from no head, no phones or tablets or fast internet connections, we, you know, played outside, actually, uh until having all of this technology right like we yeah, saw yeah. we literally saw it go from zero to to what it is now and um and i think that's why we have a pretty unique uh outlook on these types of things because we've seen it rise up from the top right like we can tell our kids like yeah i remember when my internet was slow as hell you know like now you guys have 50 gigabyte speeds ah, you know <laughs> and um and when it comes to like gaming, like I, I try not to like, I mean, I, I, I want, I'm, I'm, I'm saying like the same thing as, as you are, you know, uh, I, I, I want my daughter to, to do whatever she wants and I'm going to support her in it, whether it's gaming or because like my daughter sees me play games every day, 
and she knows that it's my job because it sort of is like, you know, I'm, I stream for G2A. Right. And so and so is Steve. And um, and whenever she sees me playing games, whenever I'm I'm not technically working, I'm just doing it for fun. She's like, Dad, after you're done working, can we call her? You know, and I'm just like, yeah, yeah, sure, honey. You know, and um, I think it's uh, super important just to like show kids the way like hey you know there's not video games there's not only video games but hey maybe you can be a freaking athlete or whatever whatever you want to be right and i think that's uh really up to us to um to show them the way as the old school meme would go do they know the my way? um my son's favorite word is car so i would not be uh i would not be massively surprised if he uh, ended up doing something with cars because he's just obsessed with cars uh in fact his first word was car he said car about i would say like 12 13 months 14 months and then pretty much all he said from 14 months to two years was car uh, <laughs> so and he's obsessed with playing with cars uh and just loves car and, and he, he we uh we used to have these youtube we, we do still watch them but not as much as we did previously these youtube videos of people just playing with toy cars yeah. um and he just he's obsessed with them um but yeah, no, I, I would not be surprised if my son wanted to do something with cars when he grew up. But you know, you know, it's up to him. So instead of the your son's first words being mom or dad or dog, it was car. It was car. Yeah. And actually, he doesn't say any animal names. He just says animal noises for all the animals. Ah, so yes. dogs are dogs are woof woof. Horses right. are neigh or, neigh or clip clop. Actually, he used to call horses. <laughs> He used to, he literally used to call horses cock, and we have no idea why. We, he, he would just point at a horse picture and go, cock. And we were like, where did you learn that? Like, what? Like, where did you learn that? Um, oh, but man. no, he just does, he does like moo and baba and, and, you know, all that kind of stuff for like all the cows and sheep. But yeah, um, right now, dogs, even we're, try, we're trying to get him to say dogs, but he, he just calls them woof woofs. So, like, we've got one bigger dog and one smaller dog, and he'll go big woof woof, and then, like, you know, that kind of thing. So. My That's son actually does this. Adorable. He sees a, like a cat cross the road, and he's like, oh, there's a, uh, a ginger meow meow. So he knows like completely different words, but he doesn't say cat. He always says meow meow. Yeah. So I don't same, know why, with but... yeah. same with my son. Like, he'll just go, he'll just go, like, there's a woof woof, there's a bar bar, there's a moo moo. And <laughs> thankfully, not there's a cock anymore, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! Um, he, he literally he literally switched from that to nay and clip clop overnight, and I don't know like what tripped in his mind to do that. So when he was saying cock, I just couldn't talk, I couldn't stop laughing every time. We we have this picture book with like the animals in, and he'd always point to it and go cock, and I was like, what you? Oh my God! That's that's amazing, Jesus. It would be amazing if he goes to somebody and just like I just saw a cock. And people are like, what? What's going on? Like, what? what is my worry? I was my worry was whether when he starts to talk a little, got a little bit older, and he goes, "Daddy just showed me a cock," and I'm oh like, God. "Oh God! Oh God! Oh <laughs> God! Oh man!" But luckily, luckily, he got out of calling horses that, and now calls okay. them nays and clip clops. So it's not so bad. Okay. But that's good. Yeah, I remember what I was gonna say back when I lost my train of thought um, about kids saying the darnest things. I remember one time uh, when my daughter before she was able to like speak fully uh she was saying like uh singular words like you know horse and sheep and stuff like that only in polish um and i remember one time i was actually on a business trip i think yeah i was on a business trip and or no i was in america because i was i was visiting my family and um my my wife took our daughter to the store 
because like to the mall, like the shopping center. And mm-hmm. she wanted to, and she wanted to buy her like some clothes and stuff. And this was the time where she she wasn't able to like walk a lot by herself. Like she was able to walk, but not for a long period of time. Yeah. And um and she told me the story where she was in the like the little carriage thing, and then she started to say uh the word she was like apple but in polish the the word for apple in polish is is yabko and i think she she switched it up and she started to saying she started yelling at the top of her lungs in the middle of the store where there's a bunch of polish people around a really bad swear word like at the top of her lungs in polish and she just kept repeating it and repeating it and i was like and she was like oh my god stop like please like she's like turned she was like embarrassed you know like imagine if like your kid is just yelling the f word like in in like in a public space at the top of their lungs yeah uh what would you do in that situation Uh, put a sock in their mouth i don't know Um, (laughs) i don't know (laughs) luckily rupa hasn't picked up any swear words yet yeah so uh fingers crossed uh, you know, I think eventually, you know, they'll pick it up by on their own when they're hanging out with friends when they're especially, older. Especially if they're playing League of Legends, they'll pick up. <laughs> yeah, a lot. Yeah. Oh yeah, you know, like Legend. I said, the only reason I know the only reason I know that Polish swear word that begins with K is because of League of Legends. Mm-hmm. So you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah, um, I'm sure. I'm sure that when you were playing uh, League, uh, you were playing with a lot of Polish people and Russians for sure. There's a lot of there's a lot of Polish players actually. A lot yeah. of good Polish players as well. Yeah, so. for sure. For sure. When I moved to the east side of Europe, I didn't realize how big League of Legends was until I got huge. here. It's it's mm-hmm. huge. Mm-hmm. Like in the UK, most people, I was like a huge Dota fan, and I love watching Dota and TI series, everything. But when I came here, it was like complete switch. Everyone's playing League, like everyone knows everything about it. It's completely different from mm-hmm. very surprised mm-hmm. I tried playing League on stream a few times because people on my like my community was like, "Oh, dude, you should play League of Legends," and I'm like, "Dude, I'm gonna suck ass at it." But and that, but then I, you know, of course you're not gonna be a good at any game that you play for the first time, right? But I, I played it anyway, and uh, I I got the hang of it, but I I didn't understand what was happening. Like I didn't get it, and it, and and like for a free game because League of Legends is free, you can play it for free, right? Um, mm-hmm. it's super complex. It's like it's like if you ever think of min-maxing in a video game, it's like League of Legends should be like the definition of min-maxing, uh, in like in a video game. It's crazy. Like I sometimes watch other streamers. Sometimes I watch League of Legends tournaments just for like a couple minutes to like see how it is. But it's crazy as to how complex a free game can actually be. Like it may not even seem at like like it at once, but it's crazy to think how all of these different like characters like how many characters is there in league of legends like 200 that you can pick from uh 100 yeah 160 or 170 like between between there now yeah that's crazy that's a crazy amount and um and how they all synergize with with one another like when you're playing in a team right because it's a a team game of course Mm -hmm. and um it's in, in in order to like understand like how certain abilities like if you're playing support or if you're like playing mid or jungle or whatever um how all of those characters synergize and like i guess for like a beginner player it might be super difficult and the learning curve is is hard what do you think about that is is it it's not really a beginner friendly game if 
you ask me, right? The learning curve it, is pretty high. I think that's one of the things that has actually made League of Legends difficult to, or they found it difficult to get new players because of the steep learning curve that it has. I think it, it is a an incredibly difficult game. If you've never, the only reason I was able to get into it is because I played the um, StarCraft II MOBA. I, I used to play the StarCraft II MOBA, the custom game um, on the StarCraft II client online. I played that loads and, and the, the concepts in MOBAs are relatively similar. If you've played Dota, you, you should really be able to understand League of Legends. If you've, you've played League of Legends, you should be able to understand Dota because the concepts are relatively similar. Yeah, you might not understand each individual champion, but when I started League of Legends, I understood the concepts of what a MOBA was. And that is, I think, one of the biggest... For people who have never played MOBAs before, that's the biggest hurdle to get across. Like in an era of Fortnite and easy to play, easy to get yeah. into games like that, like Hand-holding. getting, yeah, yeah, like understanding the concept of a MOBA is the hardest thing. The era that we grew up in, the Warcraft 3 and the StarCraft 2 MOBA, like custom games, were incredibly popular. Um, and so, therefore, when League of Legends sprung up, you know, a, a couple of years before Dota 2 did, um, they 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 managed to capitalize on on a market that was was huge already but obviously as years have gone on and and other games have started to dominate the younger audiences it's now becoming quite difficult to kind of get people into this game because it is a tough learning curve if you've never played mobas before uh, and then again there is so many champions now and the new i heard the new player experience can be quite difficult for new players because you know you go into a game and you feel like you're really bad and everybody just sh- like shits on you and yeah. you, you come out you come out getting zero kills and thousands of deaths and think well what's the point so yeah i, I just think it's a very very t- complex game to kind of to kind of understand i think one of the biggest challenges for riot have been finding a way to make the tutorial as easy to understand as possible whilst getting you up to speed as quickly as possible and that's that will always be the challenge with a moba game um but that's what you know they've just released wild rift on mobile so they're trying to do that across the mobile audience now and i think wild rift's been pretty i've been playing it a lot recently and i think it's really good one thing that you mentioned i think is one of the biggest problems for new people is the community that if you're a beginner the community can be very harsh on you and they can for example if you don't know like should i pick mid should i pick top should i pick bomb if you don't know this sort of stuff these roles will be like you don't know basically so you you don't know what's going on these people can be sort of like unforgiven and like if you do something wrong like you go in the wrong lane at the wrong time you go in the jungle at the wrong time people can be very very hard eaten alive <laughs> yeah that's one I mean, of the yeah, things the, i picked up the league of legends community has gained a little bit of notoriety as being a relatively toxic community um why though like that's it's crazy to think like i think every i think every game in a way has their like fair share of toxic players because you know there's elitists you know there's like there's elitists and wow and league and csgo and they'll yell at even even if you even if you say that you're a beginner that you're new they will freaking destroy you um whether it's being saying some uh you know uh, pretty creative words uh or just like bringing you down why is league of legends like in your point because you've been in the scene for a very long time why do you think people this game has this notoriety of having these toxic players i don't know actually that's a really interesting question i wish i wish i had a genuine answer to it um it 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 just so happened to be i think because it's an incredibly competitive experience you have to you have to often dedicate 30 to 40 minutes of your life to get through one game um you know, I, I think it's a I think it's a really difficult thing to to, to kind of give a, a context you know a contextual answer to. But essentially, 
you know, imagine you load up a game, it takes you one hour to get through one competitive game and it, it amounts to a win or loss. You know, a win gains you one or two percentage points on your total climb throughout the ranked ladder. If you have a, a game where you think someone's not trying hard or trolling you, you, you you're gonna you're gonna flip because you've you've dedicated an hour of your life to a game that you felt is completely worthless. And so yeah, you know, I, I, I guess it. the, yeah, I guess it's the every single game that you play in League of Legends is is incredibly competitive, and I guess that's the mainstay of why you, you generally tend to get that toxicity because competition often can bring out both the best and worst in us, and I think that's sometimes what you see in League of Legends. Very what true. Ryan do very well with League of Legends, in my personal opinion, is that they check and they look at the champions and they buff and they nerf accordingly at the right times. And that's something that um, I notice a lot with Valorant, because I'm a big Valorant fan at the moment. I'm playing a lot of Valorant. They make changes very fast and they often are very, very good. So Riot, in general, do very well in this department. Like They analyze things, they test stuff, and I'm very happy with the way they do this, if you agree with this. Yeah, yeah, no, I think I think Riot, the balance team, are very quick to act. They usually have like a balance patch every two weeks or something like something that. Like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they generally tend to adjust champions relatively quickly. If there's something that's outlandishly uh, like toxic to play against, they'll hotfix it quickly. Um, I think there's been some critique of their champion design as of late. Like some of the champions that are being released generally tend to have what we call overloaded kits, where you know they have each of their abilities does a little too much compared to some of their their older counterparts. But yeah, I think the balance team at Riot is one of the best. And when you've got 160, 170 odd champions to have to balance, you know, in coordination with each other, it's a very difficult job. Isn't there a new champion like released the last few days, like Gabby or something? The name is or Gwen. Oh, She's not yeah, been released Gwen. yet um people have just you kind of had the teasers for her but yeah I, I don't know i haven't seen much about i haven't even bothered looking into her yet because she won't be available in competitive for quite some time um but yeah she's like a seem like a ghost seamstress or something i don't know like <laughs> something like that i see people already saying like she's already op she needs like some nerfs now so like what you said like when something gets new released then they could have like overpowered abilities at the beginning but they're very fast to sort of fix this yeah, yeah, they they generally balance pretty well for sure. Mm -hmm. I think uh, if if we look at the the actual player standpoint, uh, from like a League of Legends player standpoint, when they when Riot also frequently tries to balance uh, these uh, champions, uh, like I think you said it was like every two weeks or something like that. They 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 like like release these hot hot fixes and stuff like that. It maybe I, I think it I believe it could be a little bit frustrating for the player because at the same time, okay, they're making the game more balanced, or at least they're trying to do it. But then that just means that you have to switch up your tactics. You have to switch up your play style, whether whether I don't know, maybe they nerfed your favorite uh, champion, maybe they buffed him, and that, that means that you have to have a different play style with him. Um have you ever encountered something like that, like where they made some kind of change? And do you think it's it's as prevalent as I'm thinking it is? Or, I mean, in MOBAs, you generally tend to get people who are called one tricks, who are usually people who play one mm. specific champion, but they play it to a very high level. They mastered like the the, the you know you're talking about the min maxing. They min max what they can do on that champion to the nth degree. Right. So clearly, when changes happen to that champion, especially negative ones, you you get a bit of outcry. You get people who get upset. Um, 
as is the nature of with any you know with any MOBA where people dedicate their time to one particular character, that character is always going to be up for the chop chopping block if they are too strong. Um, so yeah, it happens, but it's all for the health of the overall game rather than right. you know that those individual players. So the top one percent or whatever, right? For those, it's, it's something that I think is better for the overall game. Mm -hmm. I sort of uh, glitched out there, but I heard everything you said. And you just sort of glitched out. Um, yeah, like I no, you no, you're all good. Um, yeah, I think um, a lot of a lot of like developers, whether it's like Riot or Blizzard, because the same thing happens in in World of Warcraft. You know, I I, I actively play the game now. Sometimes they'll take a a class and they will absolutely absolutely crush it to the ground, and no one plays that cra uh, class, and um, it just becomes like unplayable right like i don't know survival hunters for example and um i can totally understand how when someone invests like all of this time they try to like be the best of the best top one percent in the world and all of a sudden they like put the class on put the champion on the chopping block like you said it feels like your time has been wasted right like it it, it even feels like I'm, i mean i can imagine that you might not even feel like playing the game anymore at this point but if we're talking about yeah. like like the top very very top one percent of players, these changes they don't really affect like the the larger community base, right? So, like you said, they're they're doing this to make everybody happy, not the best players. So. Yeah, yeah. Of course, you're going to be upset if your favorite champion's getting adjusted in a way that either makes it different for you to play or makes it worse overall or whatever but as you said like it's it's supposed to be for the health of the game i i can't speak for blizzard's balance team because all the the only thing my friends have said about world of warcraft is they take forever to do balance patches and when they do yeah. they're terrible they um do. yeah so i'm but i think for for league they, they are very quick to adjust things if something ends up being underpowered they'll rebuff them again or you know if something's overpowered they'll tune them down like like um steve said the two-week cycle is, is pretty good for the health of the game i'd say right um it seems like we're uh slowly running out of time here we got about five or ten more minutes and uh i guess um i, I wanted to ask you one more question before we uh we end here it's it's already been an hour can you believe that like it's crazy um what you what were you ranked what was your highest ranked in league what kind of player are we talking about here uh i was i think i was diamond one at my peak but like i was never a challenger or anything like that i mean i i, I gave up playing competitively very early on into the into the life cycle of league of legends but i was able to always maintain like diamond five diamond four so like i was always a diamond player um i actually became a one trick myself became a scion one trick uh, and just played this one champion over and over again and just was able to hit diamond relatively consistently with it what's uh, the downside of having like a one trick hero like if they ban it you're kind of like screwed yeah you're screwed yeah yeah, yeah that's the, 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 there are people that stream at a high level or are, you know you, you you never see one trick players get into competitive for that very reason because you ban their champion then suddenly they're useless um but you see a lot of them in solo queue and a lot of them at the high high ranked ladders and yeah like uh, there was a guy called the Bouse who is like a very popular scion streamer he plays the same champion that i do and he had to learn a couple of other champions because people would just ban scion against him uh, and you know he'd have to go and learn something else so he's got a few champions now that he plays but yeah th th there are downsides to being a one trick clearly because there are bans in league of legends and if people can especially in high elo where you can kind of get the feel for who you're going to be playing up against um you can make those bans happen and and yeah put them in put them in an awkward spot maybe i'll just like ask one final question if it's okay with uh, mike here um 
for the people that are watching now, how what advice would you give casters in the future? Like, if they want to become a caster, how could they do that? Um, what what should they have in their minds? Just just some general advice. Yeah, I, I think realistically, you should you shouldn't give. And this is my the advice that I always give out to people. And it sounds like horrible advice, but it is. I think it's like the the best place to start. You should never give up your education or your job for casting just randomly. If you don't have like the 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 gigs or the the the, the job offers there to give you a full time income on a year's basis, then you should never go and give up your education or your job for it because it's not worth it. And very few people actually make it to a point where they're doing this full time. I would say for most people, treat it as a hobby. Treat it as a hobby that you enjoy. And if you get paid for your hobby, that's great. Um, but for the most part, just treat it as a hobby that you're going to practice and you're going to enjoy in your spare time and find the time to practice it whenever you can find the time to work on it whenever you can. If that, if that hobby gets to a point where you've built up enough experience, you've perfected your craft, you know, you've become relatively good at what you do, then people will start to take notice, people will start to pick you up for gigs. And at that point, you can then start to make life decisions about whether you think it's something you can manage full time or not. Um, but you know, the worst thing that I, a lot of young casters, especially like 16, 17, they ask me like, Oh, I want to be this. I'm like, well, finish your education first, do your education, like get get yourself a degree or get yourself your A levels or whatever it is you're doing at the time. Uh, you know, like get all that done first, and then think about uh, think about careers and casting, but absolutely treat it as a hobby first and foremost, and treat it as something that you just want to improve on in your spare time. Because it is difficult to break into casting. It, you know, I, I would be lying if, if I said it was easy. It's not easy. Um, two of the biggest things that you can have in your favor are contacts and time. And so a lot of it is just putting in the time over a number of months or even years and just and also just making contacts either with other casters, asking them to review what you've done or with tournament organizers or whatever. But those are the two biggest things that you can you can have in your favor. But you know, don't come into casting and just expect to be able to drop your entire life and just pick up casting gigs and, and run away with, a, with your, your dream career. Because even when I started, um, which obviously was much harder to get paid gigs when I started, but like even now when it's a little it's a little easier to find those paid gigs, it's still hard to make a full time living out of it. Um, you know, so just you know, hobby into 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 something that you practice over time. And if you start getting those offers, you start getting those those job offers to, to potentially make a life decision about whether you think it's worth pursuing full time. But you know, just don't give up. If you're really passionate about it, your time will come. Perfect. Thank awesome. You. Uh guys, I think that's gonna be about all the time that we have for today. Ex Coundrel, thank you, man. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I hope we can have you back again. And um yeah guys make sure to follow X Coundrel on Twitter. Uh, I'll link his Twitter right here. Or maybe Steve, if you want to link it to me, then I'll send it to the people. Uh, I don't have it right here. And, um, yeah, guys, we have podcasts once a week. We have awesome guests like x here. You can also listen to the podcast on Spotify. We are on Spotify. The link should be in the chat right now. And, um, yeah, that'll be about it. Guys, thank you very, very much. And thank you very, very much, x for joining us on the podcast. Uh, I hope we can have you on again. Bye-bye.